I love a good William Shakespeare quote. And in The Merchant of Venice, he wrote, even the devil can cite scripture for his purposes. We're going to learn today how Pastor Matt Baker lived a double life. He quoted scripture on the one hand, but his deeds did not match up. His wife, Carrie, didn't see it until it was much too late. Welcome to another episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. I'm so glad you joined me for another captivating true crime story, and we'll be looking for those physical, spiritual, and emotional safety takeaways that are waiting there for us. If you're listening, I believe you have a unique calling to become a different kind of PI, not a typical private investigator, but a person of impact. This is season four, episode 39. Our book for this week is Deadly Little Secrets, The Minister, His Mistress, and a Heartless Texas Murder by Katherine Casey. We're joined by guest Christy Hensley. Christy is a licensed professional counselor at Seed of Hope Counseling and a co-founder of Indigo Hills, a 501c3 nonprofit retreat center that helps ministry leaders find rest and recuperation. Linda Doolin got the worst phone call any parent could ever get in April of 2006. A police dispatcher on the line said that there had been an accident at her daughter Carrie's home. Linda asked if it was one of her granddaughters, but was told that it was her daughter Carrie. Frantic, she called Carrie's husband Matt and asked him what was going on. Bluntly, he told her that Carrie was dead. He said she'd committed suicide. Some family members immediately suspected that Matt had killed Carrie. They didn't believe for a moment that she would have left her beloved daughters behind. Linda certainly didn't want to think that Carrie would have ended her own life. But the only other option was to believe that the father of her granddaughters was a killer. She didn't want to believe that either. Because police found an unsigned typed suicide note, they took very few photos at the scene and the local justice of the peace decided that no autopsy of Carrie's body would be necessary. Those poor decisions would cost a lot of time, money, and pain in the years to come. Carrie and Matt met at the First Baptist Church in Waco, Texas in 1994. Matt had an internship with the church, and Carrie was a lifeguard at the church's youth camp. Carrie was so thrilled to find someone that she thought of as a good man who shared her faith. She didn't know about the accusation of sexual assault from a young woman who served with Matt as a student athletic trainer at Baylor University. She didn't know that Matt had reconnected with an old high school girlfriend, and that woman also accused him of sexual assault. In truth, it might not have mattered if she did know. Carrie would later develop a habit of defending Matt no matter what he was accused of. While Carrie and Matt's relationship moved along at warp speed, Another young woman accused Matt of asking her for sex. Mere months after they first met, Carrie and Matt married. Shortly after, a woman from First Baptist came forward saying that Matt had pressured her for sex. Matt, of course, denied all of these allegations, and his boss felt like he couldn't do anything to him with nothing but what he termed unproven allegations. As an investigator, I'm just going to tell you right now, that man was wrong. He could have talked to people. He could have looked into things. And maybe Carrie would still be alive if he had. Carrie's parents assumed that if there had been any truth to the allegations against Matt, he would have been fired. Please, I am begging anyone out there who's tempted to just write off accusations against anyone simply because they haven't gotten in trouble for that behavior. Remember this case. 
and reconsider. Matt Baker got away with murder for a while because no one looked into the red flags that were swirling all around him. Matt attacked a female co-worker at a part-time job when Carrie was pregnant with their first child. Now this time he was fired and some people finally started to doubt him, but not Carrie. Matt was finishing up his seminary degree and wasn't getting any job offers from churches who bothered to check with former employers. But not every church bothered. Teenage girls were starting to make complaints as Carrie gave birth to the couple's second daughter. Computers that Matt had access to suddenly were filled with porn. People believed Matt's excuses that someone else had downloaded all of those files. Now, didn't we hear that same story from Josh Duggar? According to the research gurus at the Barna Group, 57% of pastors questioned admitted that they struggled with pornography currently or in the past. We have to be aware and know that pastors are not immune to these problems. Now, as stressful as the allegations had to have been for Carrie, her life was about to take a turn that Matt would use as the motive for her alleged suicide. Just after Matt and Carrie celebrated their younger daughter's first birthday, the little girl was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was in the hospital for months recovering from brain surgery, but she pulled through and was able to go home even though she was still on a monitor at night. Matt said he didn't think she needed it. And then one night when he went in to check on her, she wasn't breathing. Carrie grieved the loss of her little girl deeply, but she was in time able to move on with life. She and Matt had another baby girl and Carrie became a teacher. Every year when the anniversary of her baby's death came around, Carrie was understandably very depressed. Matt continued to have questionable interactions with women and lose jobs, but he always found another church a church who didn't check his employment history too carefully. This time, it was a small rural church with about 50 members. And this time, Matt had an inappropriate relationship with a very willing young woman. He wanted to marry this woman. And Baptist churches don't look too fondly on pastors who are divorced. So he came up with another plan. When Carrie died, the typed, unsigned suicide note said that she just wanted to be with her little girl who had died. Matt told the authorities that Carrie had been talking about suicide in recent days. But others said what Carrie had said to them was that she thought Matt was having an affair and might even be planning to kill her. You'll want to get a copy of Deadly Little Secrets to see what it took for those who loved Carrie to finally get justice for her. It wasn't an easy road, and they had to learn a lot about not ignoring red flags, as so many people in Matt's life had done. They also learned the power of letting facts speak for themselves, even when they led to uncomfortable places. We'll talk more about that in just a minute as we check in with today's guest. Christy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm so excited to share your expertise, and I'm just going to jump right in. A huge part of the story that we focused on today, and really a lot of of true crime stories, is just denial. That stubborn belief that someone that you know or you love could not possibly have committed an act of evil. 
even when you've got all kinds of evidence just telling you, yes, this is what happened. So as a counselor, how do you work with people and try to break through if we're in denial about something hurtful in our own lives? It's really challenging. You know, I had a professor one time say, because I said, sometimes I see almost like a red flashing button of this issue, and I just want to push the red button. And he said, you know, sometimes it's best to take the back door entrance, like take it slowly. You know, you have to build trust. And you, I think a lot of times we try to help clients come to the conclusion themselves, kind of like gently directing And, you know, counselors are slightly different in in their approaches and in the way that they do therapy. But a lot of times people, they say they want to change, but to do the work that it takes to change, they, they don't, they're not ready to do it. And then as you were asking me that question, I'm thinking there are other people who could be dissociating and doing things when they're really not connected to their body to some degree. So it could be um, an extreme situation where somebody is um, dissociating and and has almost an alter ego, an alter part of themselves that could be, you know, I think of a crime. I mean, I could see how that could be the case. A massive trauma response. I just can't deal with that. So I just won't. Right. Wow. So then as lay people, if we're having someone in our circle, you know, a friend, uh, somebody from church, from work, if they're kind of in danger, you know, they might not have somebody necessarily attempting to murder them, like in our story, but somebody in their life is maybe abusive, controlling, Mm. and our friend, our acquaintance, they just can't see it or they won't see it. What can we do to try to reach them? I think um, truth and love, if the, the opportunity is given to, again, present it as I love you and I don't want to see you hurt and this is what I'm seeing. I may be wrong, but this is what I'm seeing and just try to show them a different perspective. And then if they don't listen, then we just kind of love them where they are and pray for the opportunity to be open for us to speak into that at, at some point, you know. And I know that can be difficult in the wait. Because we we want so badly to make things better. And I think, especially in the faith community, it can even be a little taboo to talk about those things, to recognize that there are those problems or to suggest counseling. You know, I've seen people have just been flat out told, well, if you just have more faith, you know, dispel that myth for us that don't, don't worry about counseling, just have faith. It's, it's, I think it's a both end. And, you know, especially as Christ followers, yes, faith is important. We do have trauma. We have, maybe it's not severe trauma. You know, there's little T traumas and then there's big T traumas. But all of us really have some things that should be unpacked, you know, to find a safe place to do that. And I think it's unfortunate that there's such a negative stigma in the church, in a lot of churches. We are not crazy. You don't need that. You're not. Or, or to imply that it's a specific sin, and not to say that it can't be, but to insinuate that all mental health challenges are, are sin is, is unfortunate because I think, again, it's a both end. You have faith, and you have Jesus, and you have access to Him and His healing, and there are practical things that counseling can bring to kind of help you put things in place to expedite that process, you know? Oh, I agree 100%. And I- I'm a person who's big on counseling, especially 
you know, why wait for things to get to crisis proportions? Mm, right. You know, a little bit of being able to have someone be a sounding board, somebody that gives you a different perspective before things really get out of control. And I think, you know, again, back to our case, that might have helped mm. some folks to see things just a little more clearly. And who knows if it would have changed the outcome, mm-hmm. but I think there might have been a chance. And there were also a lot of chances for people to expose Matt Baker for who he was for years, mm-hmm. but nobody seemed to really want the responsibility of holding him accountable. When you're talking about counseling, that accountability is part of it. When you talk about faith, there needs to be accountability. So how important is it to speak up for ourselves and for other people rather than than turn that blind eye? Mm. So in a scenario where you're feeling like no one's listening to you, is that is that what you mean when you say speak up for ourselves? Yeah, to speak up for ourselves and Mm -hmm. say, I need some help Mm -hmm. with this. Or to speak up for someone else and say, I know you might not be feeling this way, but I'm going to encourage you, especially, you know, if you can say, I've tried this, this is how this helped me. You know, how can, how can we erase that stigma? How can we encourage people to speak up and to normalize this? Like education, you know, even just in in society and, you know, with the backlash of the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of increase in mental illness and just people struggling with anxiety and depression. And, you know, so there there probably is more conversation about it. But still, there's that apprehension. So just like you said, you know, being open and sharing if you have ever gone to counseling, you know, this really helped me. And it's it's not always like what you see in the movies. It's uh, many times it is just like somebody having a conversation with you and it's a supportive person and you don't have to be in extreme crisis to be able to benefit from counseling. I think more churches encouraging people to seek help is really kind of gives people permission to give themselves permission. You know, I have a shirt that says, it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist too. And I just love that because our church is very vocal about getting counseling, get help, you know, and they don't shy away from encouraging people in marriages. And I'm like you, I, I wish everyone did it proactively rather than reactively. The studies show that couples will wait six years six years of having struggle before they'll ever go in to get help. And many times it's a last ditch effort and, you know, it's, they're, they're really already one foot's out the door and their relationship is in a lot of trouble. Education from churches, just normalizing and encouraging people to be healthy and, and get some help, get some support. And I would encourage churches too. Pastoral counseling is great, mm-hmm. but there are some things that y'all just aren't trading for pastors. I'm sorry, you're great at what you're great at, but I would encourage them to have a network, have people who specialize in things that you can refer people to. Right. You think that's a good idea? Oh, I think it's great. And the American Association of Christian Counselors has something they're offering. It's called Dare to Care, and it is a training. It is free, and it is a training to kind of assess where the parishioners are if they come to you and say hey I'm in trouble I need some help you can be trained 
to know how to respond to them and then refer if you if that's what they need. And I think it just it would help people on staff to be able to feel equipped and empowered to assess a little better what's going on and not be afraid to ask some questions. I think a lot of times when someone says they're suicidal, you know, we have a tendency to not talk about it. And that's actually, that puts them at greater risk. You know, having someone to to be there to talk to them actually helps. So just being able to know the questions to ask, to dig a little deeper, to know when it's something that needs to be referred out just would be amazing if all churches could do that, you know. And that's where people, when they're hurting, they tend to gravitate toward churches for help, you know. And male leaders need to understand there are some things that women will not feel comfortable disclosing to you. Right. Things they will not want to discuss with you. So Absolutely. make sure you have some women who are trained to talk with people until you can get people referred to someone that really does specialize in certain areas like sexual abuse and things like that. And at the very least, have a female staff member come into the room just to give them that peace of mind. If yes. they sense that there's a little apprehension, maybe they can step out and she could ask some questions to just kind of find out. But I mean, we're all in, in a place of, I think when we've been hurt, we're in a place of self-protection and we're just kind of scoping things out to see if we can trust people, you know? So. Oh, sure. And the last thing we want to do is inadvertently add to any trauma that's there. Right. Which is easier to do than I think we yeah. realize. So give us some of those things that we can make sure we avoid doing or saying so that we don't, and even with the best of intentions, oh. make things worse. Well, that's a tough one. I think asking permission for questions. Um, are you comfortable um, sharing more? Do you, you know, just permission goes a long way and just giving respect and understanding that there's so many different churches and denominations and, you know, things get a little tricky, but just understanding, you know, there can also be church trauma, just being real with someone and, and again, respecting them, just having a sensitivity to the language that you're using. And, and it's hard to get specific with that, but just honoring them honoring them and and assuming this is probably the biggest thing assuming that there's some trauma there from the get-go and then treat them as if it's there then that way you're going to protect them you know i'm so glad you brought up the idea of church trauma and not that i want to bash churches not that i want to say that this is just everywhere but we do have to acknowledge that it exists and that was really again a big part of the problem with the case from this book was people just assumed, well, that's a pastor or a divinity student early on in, in some of his offending. He wouldn't do that. I must have misinterpreted. And we make excuses. So I think it's important for everybody to hear that it doesn't matter who is doing something harmful. They can be a pastor, a teacher, a police officer, a private investigator, or a counselor. Right. If someone is being hurtful, it's okay to speak up. Yes. I read on social media recently, I can't remember who who, is, who said it, but they said, I wish we taught young girls to prioritize their safety over being nice. Yes. And, you know, I think growing up in the South and just as 
Christ followers, you know, we're taught to be considerate, to be pleasant, to be cooperative, you know, and, and many times, especially as women, that can get us in some really bad situations, you know, not knowing to prioritize our safety. And like you said, what looks like on the outside, a upstanding citizen can use that to their advantage. And they do. They are master manipulators, people that want to control and harm you. They know what buttons to push. And this might sound like a super obvious point, but a big part of being a pastor is that you're supposed to protect your flock. And so I love that you are starting to put together a retreat center and you you want to be that person that protects the protectors. So tell me more about how that's going, what your plans are, and what it's going to look like when when you're ready to go. Thank you. We have a place called Indigo Hills, a nonprofit here in Upper East Tennessee, in beautiful Indigo Hills. Uh, can't call them mountains to the people in Colorado, but anyway, the hills. We're starting construction now, and we hope to have little prayer cabins that can be used by the community and people that would come and retreat. We hope to have four to six cabins where ministry leaders, just people who are serving others can come and get a respite. Get out and play in the mountains. Get out and play in the beautiful rivers around here and go hiking in the waterfalls. You know, just take a big nap. Give yourself permission to play and get reconnected with nature, reconnect with yourself, reconnect with God, and restore, because it's so important. I think we just, we are all in this grind mentality where we just push, 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 and strive, and, you know, we pride ourselves in productivity, but there's a lot to be said for abiding and resting with our Jesus and getting that recharge, that reset so that we can go back out and do our work and do it better because we are caring for ourselves. So that's what we hope to do. We hope to possibly add just a holistic care center so that they can have mind, body, spirit practices that they can do to enhance that. So that's the dream. I absolutely love that. My church just did a worship night and Mm. they put a big emphasis on thanking our first responders. And that's so important. But I think sometimes we forget our pastor, our church staff, Mm. those people that really are doing God's work because their focus is serving others. We forget to serve them sometimes. Mm. And so you're setting up a place to do that. And I just, I love that. Mm. So tell us, how people can help, how they can get involved, how they can connect with you and find all these amazing resources that you have. Yeah. Okay, great. We have a website, indigohills.org, and um, we'd love for people to just check it out. There are ways to connect with us. We um, do occasional newsletters. I'm trying to get better at that. <laughs> but we also have a place where people can donate if they feel led to do that. We do have, I know we're in East Tennessee, we do have some days where we do projects where people can serve hands-on. You know, we've had some people come out and just tear down barns, put up fences, those kinds of things. So we'd love to just have people connect with us there and um, let's see how we can get, get connected to do some things together. That'd be great. That's awesome. And I will have links for all that stuff in the show notes. So make sure you check that out, look and see 
all the different work that Christy is doing. Support her if you can. And I'm going to let you end on some of your kind of best practices, advice for helping us care for people that are having some sort of denial in their life. They're being hurt in one way or another. One quick, easy step that we can do to help them out. I think ask if someone is okay. And then when they answer, say, how are you really? And really mean that you want to hear their answer. Just remind them that you're there and that you care and that you're there for them. Um, I think, you know, we're just so often we're so disconnected anymore. It's so easy to get so disconnected. So for somebody to just stop and notice and ask you and, and you feel like they're genuinely wanting to know how you're doing, it means everything. Or just to stop and give a hug and just to pay attention, you know, to each other. As far as denial goes, again, I think when you do show that care and when you do show the genuine desire to let them know that you see them, they will remember and hopefully come back to you and, and, and you have that opportunity to speak into that place of something that they might not be seeing in themselves. You know, That's wonderful. I talk about situational awareness a lot as far as physical safety goes, and I hadn't really connected it, but we need to be practicing that with emotional and spiritual and mental health safety as well. Just being aware and not being so trapped in a what's going on in my life, but paying attention to what's going on in the lives of people around me. Mm-hmm. And not feel, I had someone say one time, you know, you're not responsible for, but you're responsible to. So, you know, like while some things would be getting in over your head and to try to care for them in, in a way that is, you know, above the pay grade, but to say, hey, I care and, and I will help you find resources. I will help you find someone that can help you in this really challenging time. So to remember that is, is really good too, to, to know that there's strengths and limitations that we all have and to know when we need to point them to someone who can help. Well, you've given us so much great practical advice. I really appreciate your, your time today and all of your wisdom. Oh, thank you, Christy. The Bible verses that I picked for us to dive deeper into today for this episode are from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it's verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read to you from the New International Version. Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now, when I look at that list and then I think about Matt Baker, he did not live his life according to these standards. He should not have been in any kind of leadership position. But people overlooked accusations made against him. They didn't investigate. They didn't have those hard but necessary conversations. And I wonder how different Carrie's reaction might have been Had there been people saying, wait a minute, we need to hold Matt accountable. Would she have stood up for herself, for her girls, and decided that she needed to have a different life, 
a life with a man who actually lived the life he said he lived. And I think that's a good thing for us all to think about. First, of course, looking inward. Are we living the life that we say we're living? Are we being accountable to standards that we need to be held accountable to? And are we looking at people in leadership in our lives, whether it's in our homes, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, wherever we are, are the leaders acting like leaders? Not just leaders from pop psychology books, but biblical leaders. Are they living up to these standards where those standards are applicable? Matt Baker sure didn't. And so I want to challenge us. Look in, but also look on the outside and don't be afraid to step up and say, hey, here's someone that we need to make sure we're holding accountable because we don't ever, ever want to have a situation like this happen that could have been stopped. Matt Baker could have been stopped if people would have done some due diligence. But I want to know what you think about this topic. Send me an email at Lori, L-O-R-I, at theunlovelytruth.com, or you can message me on social media. I love it when people are willing to have those hard but impactful conversations. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time.